Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Praise the Lord. Today we get to conclude Spirit-Filled People knowing and experiencing God. So we appreciate each of you and thankful to follow Jesus and be on this journey with you. So we're grateful for your generosity. With that being said, I'm going to ask that all would stand today in the reading of God's Word. John chapter 16, beginning in verse 5. I'm reading out of the Gospel of John. This is Jesus in His last intimate moments before His passion before his suffering with his disciples. And it says, but now I go away to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would bless your word by the anointing and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ, His kingdom and His lordship would be encountered by each of us here today. I yield to you, Holy Spirit, for the glory of my King, Jesus, the one who was crucified, died, buried, but rose victorious, and who lives to make intercession on behalf of the saints. It's in His name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A believer with an encounter with God is greater than a person just with an explanation. A believer with an encounter with God is greater than a person just with an explanation. A person with an encounter with God and the ability to explain it correctly however is best. You say, oh, pastor, you saying a brother and sister is better than me? Well, let me ask you this. Do you think Michael Jordan's better than me in basketball? And yet I don't cry about it. But the example of Michael Jordan being better than me in basketball has something to do with ability. When it comes to encountering God, it's something altogether different than ability. When we talk about encountering and knowing and experiencing God, we're talking about something that deals with pride, hunger, humility, and faith. Jesus said faith is one of the weightier matters. Jesus said that you got to become like a little child to enter and encounter the kingdom. That's humility. Jesus said that there is the least and the greatest in the kingdom. See, oftentimes what seems sensible to you and I is contrary to the kingdom of God and the scriptures of God. Because the ways of man are higher than our ways and the thoughts of God are higher than our thoughts. I'm saying all of that to remind you and I that Paul believed in provoking people to jealousy. In fact, Paul not only believed it, he said God believed in it. He said God was provoking the Jews to jealousy through the Gentiles. Now this is a provoking to jealousy that's different than how we humans in our own ability seek to provoke people to jealousy. 
Us humans seek to provoke other people to jealousy, to try to get other people to feel or to think that what we have, they can never have. But Paul says that when it comes to spiritual jealousy, it's to provoke people that, listen, this is also for you. That knowing God is not just for some believers. Knowing God is available for all believers. That having an encounter with the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not just from some of the children of God. It's a promise of the Father to all the children. It is a provoking spiritually to create hunger and thirst in us when we hear the reality of another brother and sister and their communion with God, their encounters with God, what they have uh, experienced in their walk with God, that it would provoke you and I to such thirst and hunger that we would seek first, that we would seek as a priority God, His ways, seek Him through His Word. I say all of that to say that when it comes to the spiritual realities in the kingdom, when we share our testimonies, when we share of what God has done in our life with others, the goal is not a belittling to keep people little in the faith. It's not a belittling to make people feel bad and then they stay where they're at. It's a provoking that, hey, we're all called to not only be conformed to the image of Christ and to mature in Christ, but we're all called to be supernaturally empowered, to be a supernatural witness that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord, that we all have a role we all have access to the throne of grace and that He has an abundance of grace for you and I. When you see the grace of God in another brother and sister, it's to provoke you and I to say, hey, the Father also has grace in that area for you and I. Hunger and thirst. This brings us to our main text in John 16 and verse 5. Jesus in the immediate context of the text is right there with his disciples and he is seeking to communicate and explain to them what's about to take place and his return to the Father after his crucifixion and resurrection and they're struggling and understanding. He says, hey, sorrow has filled your heart. He says, but now I go away to him who sent me and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, when Jesus, who is the truth, makes clarifying statements, hey, I'm certainly telling you the truth, he does that because it is going to not feel or sound as the truth to you and I. And it was the same thing for the disciples. So he tries to prepare them because he knows how their flesh, how their own human understanding, how emotionally they're going to respond. He says, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Notice there in verse 7, Jesus says, I will send him to you. Dr. Luke in Acts 2, 32 and 33 talks about the reality of when that happened, when he sent the Holy Spirit says, this Jesus God raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He poured out this which you now see and hear. Listen, friends. Jesus is in heaven. The Holy Spirit has been poured out here on earth. Jesus is in heaven. 
the Holy Spirit has been poured out here on earth. In verse 7, Jesus says that that reality that He's in heaven and that the Holy Spirit has been poured out here on earth, that He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. And the reality of what He's saying to His apostles and His disciples in that moment is a reality to you and I as well today. It is to our advantage that Jesus is in heaven and that Jesus is not here. See, this is where we in the Bible Belt began to lean too much on our understanding instead of God's Word. We, we mix things because maybe we grew up with so many potluck dinners at our churches. And we just sort of smorgasbord everything in. We say, oh no, Pastor Chad, Jesus is everywhere. And we look for ways to defend and to deflect the reality of our experience and what God's Word is practically saying to you and I. Jesus is in heaven. The Holy Spirit was poured out here on earth. For you and I to know intimately Jesus and to commune with Him, it is done by communion with the Holy Spirit of God. If you and I truly love Jesus, then we have to love what the Father and the Son has done and the way they design life in Christ to work for you and I. And that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. See, the reason this is important is that that kind of stuff of how people deflect and resist is the same kind of stuff the religious did and the Jews did, God's old covenant people, to Jesus when He was on earth. They said, hey, we got Abraham as our father. He said, you're sons of the devil. Meaning, like what Pastor Craig said last week, the knowledge of something doesn't equate to the substance of the very knowledge you have. It's not the same. You can go to the restaurant here shortly. I wouldn't eat too much because if you come into Big Bang Bonanza, <laughs> we're going to feed you well. But if you go, you can have a waiter that's memorized the menu. Impressive. You say, what kind of dressing we have? And they, boom, just right off memory. Vinaigrette, Italian, Caesar, chef special, sprinkled with garlic. I mean, they just go through it. And you say, well, have you ever tried any of that? No. Mm. That don't help me. Listen to me. The Father, because of Jesus, poured out the Holy Spirit so you and I can have the experience and the substance of what we know and read in Scripture. We would have the substance of it. The substance of communion and intimate acquaintance and encounters with God that we would go from strength to strength and from glory to glory and from faith to faith as we know Him and spend time with Him. See, there is an advantage. What is the advantage? The advantage is the Helper. The advantage is the Holy Spirit, who Jesus in John 16, 13 calls the Spirit of Truth. The advantage is you and I knowing God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. There is an advantage in the life of the child of God who communes with the Holy Spirit. You know, you think about sports. If you're a sports fan, normally there's what's called home field advantage. It's been interesting because, you know, the World Series is going on and came across some stats with that of some of the people that, some of the teams that struggled 
at home more than they struggled away. But oftentimes there's teams that, especially in the NBA, the NBA is the perfect pattern. Those teams win at home. It's like they lose every away game. You see teams that are like, you know, 50 and 50. 50% wins, 50% losses, and it's just based on where the game was held. Jesus makes this astounding thing. He says, it's actually an advantage that I'm going away to the Father. Because in going away to the Father, we're going to pour out the Holy Spirit. And when He has come, look at verse 18, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I'm being and preaching hard because there's something in this generation that the enemy's seeking to do that I did not see it in my generation growing up. In my generation growing up, especially in the church, but even culturally, when we would hear about people that had experienced or achieved something, it wasn't a negative form of covetousness where we wanted what they had or experienced without doing or following what it is that they did to get it. Or when we heard testimonies about what was available or opportunities in God, we didn't get a jealousy that enraged us and made us angry at the person. It created a hunger and thirst in us that said, oh God, if that's possible, what do I need to do to receive what you've made available? It was a provoking to pursue. It was not a provoking to take personal offense. But that's what is happening in the nations, in this generation. The enemy is doing something, seeking to provoke people to this negative form of covetousness and negative form of jealousy that says, I want what you have and I want what you experience, but I don't want to do what it is that you did or how you experienced it. And as God's people, we're called not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind to think a different way. And Jesus says, when He, the Holy Spirit, has come, wait a minute. Had he not come in the Old Testament? Had he not come in the Old Covenant? No, not in this way. Or Jesus wouldn't have said it. Jesus says, when he has come. So that leads me to the next question then. Was he involved in the Old Covenant? Absolutely. So listen, this is where you get what's called biblical theology and not our human theology is you have to take God's Word for what it actually says first. And it says that the Holy Spirit was active in the Old Covenant, but whatever that activeness of the Holy Spirit was in the Old Covenant, it was not the Holy Spirit coming in the way that Jesus said that He's about to come. Did anyone have encounters with the Holy Spirit in the Old Covenant? Yes. Remember Samson? He was empowered. The anointing of, the, of God would come upon him. Judges 14, 6 says, And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and that enabled him to do what he did. But guess what would happen? That anointing would lift off of him, and he'd start doing foolish things and being so vulnerable. You think about other judges. What about Moses? How about Moses and the 70 elders? Numbers eleven twenty five. 25. I gave them this one. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, watch this, they prophesied, but did not do so again. Now this connects a little bit to the message I preached last time about how they all spoke, spiritual people speak, and they all spoke with tongues, meaning... Every Old Testament occurrence, when the Spirit of the Lord would come upon something, there was always a manifestation. There was always a fruit of the work of God's Spirit in that moment. When the anointing came on Samson, how did we know it? He ripped up a lion. 
He ripped off some gates. There was a fruit of the empowerment. But what's astounding is that the Spirit came upon these 70 elders to help Moses lead Israel and the pastoral needs of the people, but it did not, they did not prophesy again. Interesting. Then you have the ministry of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist testifies in John chapter 1, verse 33, he tells his disciples, he said, the one who sent me, God said, the one you see the Spirit descending upon, here it is, and remaining, that one is the Messiah. What's the distinguishing factor? Because in the Old Covenant, people would have in some, few, encounters with the Holy Spirit, be empowered by the Holy Spirit, but then it would lift. And God told John the Baptist, when you see the one where the Holy Spirit comes upon him, but it remains. So you remember John gets locked up because of the empowerment of God's prophetic voice in his life, and he calls out the major sins of the leaders of his nation. They lock him up, think they can shut up the prophetic voice, and John's there, and he no longer can visibly see what's happening in, in Jesus' ministry, so he sends disciples. And he says, hey, I need you to go verify. You know, I'm in a, I'm in a, in a dark place. I'm not able to, to see and to witness, to verify that I think Jesus is the Messiah. So they go, and they say, John wants to verify again. Are you the one that was coming after him? And Jesus tells his disciples, you go tell him that the lame are still walking and the blind are still seeing and the dead are still being raised. And what's he saying? He's saying, hey, the Spirit of God still remains on me because those supernatural things would not be possible if the anointing and the empowerment of God was still not remaining on my life. Jesus points him back to the fulfillment of that prophetic word of God in his life. So when Jesus says in our main text, when He has come, He's talking about the Holy Spirit coming in His full New Testament role and ministry under the New Covenant. This is where people get hung up. They say, well, Pastor Chad, when you talk about the promise of the Father, when you talk about that we can be baptized with the Holy Spirit when we can be supernaturally empowered like Acts 1-8 to supernaturally be a witness? Are you saying that I've never fellowship, partook, or experienced the Holy Spirit? No. Are we saying in the Old Covenant that no one ever encountered or fellowshiped or experienced the Holy Spirit? No. But what we're saying is, is have you received Him in the full New Testament role in ministry of the Holy Spirit in the New Covenant? In the divine design for discipleship and growth phases and impartation phase, we teach to do this sufficiently and thoroughly. As someone that grew up in a mainline denominational church where people are trained by the seminaries they go to, and they are taught the preconceived ideas and accepted beliefs of Scripture of those that went before them. But then I got baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. And then for years, my mind fought against the very thing I was experiencing and had walked in and was walking in. Why? Because the mind's got to be renewed. The same way that you can know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, but you still have many doubts and questions about other things in life. Why does it happen? Why does this go on? How does it work? Because the light can still shine out through the darkness of our understanding and mind that's not renewed yet. And that was my experience. And so in growth phases, we come from the, the place of someone who was taught not to believe this, taught that it was unbiblical, experienced it when he heard others testify about it and point to the Word of God about it, but then my mind fought against the very thing I had experienced for years until pursuit and constantly going back to the Word of God until the mind gets renewed and the mind gets aligned with what 
I had experienced and what God's Word not just says, but then actually means. It's both. What does God's Word say, and then what does it actually mean? Okay? So, this is what Jesus is saying, that when the Holy Spirit has come in His full New Testament role in ministry, it's going to be an advantage. The Old Testament saints longed to be in the place that you and I are at, to be in the New Covenant, where the Holy Spirit, the Helper, can come in our life with a permanent advantage. And what is three aspects of the advantage? Notice what he says. Convict the world of sin, convict of righteousness, and convict of judgment. The advantage, the helper of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant and the full role in ministry of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant is the advantage of convicting the world of sin, convicting of righteousness, and convicting of judgment. The word in the English that says convict is the Greek word elinko. And what that means is, it means to convict, refute, or confute, and convince. By conviction to bring to light, but here's the key, you ready? To correct by word and deed. Someone say by word and deed. That's the twofold witness we looked at in our last message, Holy Spirit Witnessing of how Jesus primarily witnessed of the Father. He did it by word and deed. And so the advantage of the Holy Spirit is the empowerment to have the twofold witness of those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to witness to the Son, Jesus Christ. Meaning the Holy Spirit empowerment is the advantage upon a believer or a child of God's life to witness in word and in deed, to Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus, right after this, moments later in the uh, upcoming verse, after our main passage, He says, and He will what? Glorify me. He will testify of me. Meaning the advantage of the Holy Spirit is a supernatural empowerment to convict those around us and testify that Jesus Christ is Lord, but to testify in word and deed. In word and deed. So let's talk about number one, convict the world of sin. Notice verse 9 says, of sin because they do not believe me. Believe in me. Can you put the main passage? Yes, thank you. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Listen, when we look in the world and we see acts of sins, an act of sin, when we see sins, types of sins, you and I need to remember that those sins, the acts of sins, are just fruits of the sin singular that Jesus highlights here. The sin singular is their unbelief that Jesus is Lord and King. Think about it. People live the way they live because of their unbelief that Jesus, regarding Jesus as King and Lord. So the individual sins is just the fruit of the root of their unbelief that Jesus is Lord and King. And notice the Holy Spirit is sent to highlight not just the individual acts, not just call out every type of fruit, but to highlight that the main root and the main issue is their unbelief in Jesus Christ. See, when one refuses to believe he's Lord, it's easy to live under the delusion that you and I are Lord and King. And when we live under the delusion that you and I are Lord and King, then obviously there's going to be all kinds of fruits that result, fruits of sin, and sin is lawlessness. We live as if we're our own king, as if Jesus is not Lord, if there's, like there's not accountability. And the advantage of the Holy Spirit is an empowerment to convict the world of the sin, of the sin of their unbelief. Because God has already declared and God has already demonstrated and God has already testified and God is not a man that he should lie and God has already vindicated that Jesus Christ 
is who he said he is. And that he's the way, the truth, and life. And that there's no other name by which man can be saved. How did he do that? Through the resurrection that Jesus is Lord. Through the resurrection. So let's talk about convicting the world of sin by word and by deed. Convict the world of sin by word and convict the world of sin by deed. In word, what we're talking about is the advantage of the Holy Spirit is an empowerment. It's a spirit-empowered preaching. It's not just empty words. It's not just words coming from the, the logic of humans and human understanding. That the Holy Spirit is the advantage to empower our words when we testify that Jesus is Lord. That's why Jesus said, my words, their spirit and their life. That's why Jesus, when he comes out of the wilderness, filled with the Spirit and with the power of the Spirit, and he goes in the synagogue and he takes the book of Isaiah and he goes to Isaiah 61 and Dr. Luke records that moment in Luke 4.18. Jesus says, Today this is fulfilled in your hearing. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, watch this, to preach. What's he saying? He's saying that I am empowered by God's Spirit to preach. It is a supernatural empowerment through my words to preach. That's what God wants for every one of us. That we receive the helper, we receive the advantage. The advantage that refutes the lies, that refutes the defense mechanisms, that refutes the heresies and re refutes the lies of false religions. Those that use all of that, listen, as a smoke stream from the root of their issue, which is their willful unbelief to submit that Jesus is Lord and King. Remember Peter in the book of Acts? In Acts 3 verse 13, Pastor Craig's highlighted it for us several times in this series. He goes from denying Jesus one time to even a little servant's girl. Here's this big, strong fisherman who by trade every day is pulling in nets through the water, uh, pounds and pounds of fish. This man is strong and ripped and, and a, you know, physically strong. And in the presence of a little servant girl, he cowards. He says, I don't know Jesus. Here he is, weeks later, after being baptized with the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit in Acts 3 and 13, he says, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified His servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life. That sounds like a different man. He's looking at the religious leaders. He's looking at the Jewish people. And he's saying, listen, you murdered the prince of life. Why? Because now he's got the helper. Now he's got the advantage. He is empowered to supernaturally testify through his words. And there is a boldness. And he says, repent, therefore. Be converted that your sins may be blotted out in times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What about Paul? Paul in Acts 24, he's before Felix. He's been arrested and he's testifying as a prisoner of the Lord, both spiritually and now physically. And in Acts 24, 25, it says, Now as he reasoned about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix trembled and was afraid. Why? Because Felix wasn't just hearing words like he had heard other philosophers talk. He was hearing words that were empowered by the Spirit of God. And the same God who is Spirit, when He came down on the mountain of Sinai and it shook violently and it caught on fire and it smoked, that same power and Spirit was causing Felix to shake and tremble under the weight of the reality that Jesus is King and Lord. That Jesus is the real governor. That Felix sits in a seat that God prepared. That God created. And Felix is there trembling. That is the power of the helper, the advantage of convicting the world of sin, the sin of their unbelief in Jesus through words. 
supernatural empowerment on words, but then it's also indeed convicting the world of their sin, but not just in words, but also indeed. Meaning when people who are followers of Jesus demonstrate relational trust, relational faith in Jesus, the deeds of their life convict the world of their willful unbelief that Jesus is Lord and King. See, maybe some of you it doesn't make sense because you've not yet uh, had revelation understanding of what Scripture teaches when it comes to unbelief. Scripture highlights that unbelief is willful. Willful. This is why we teach you and tell you that God sends no one to the eternal lake of fire. Their willful unbelief and rejection of God's demonstration and declaration in Jesus Christ sends them to follow the lawless one, Lucifer, to that place. God wishes that none would perish. Every child and every human born, the kingdom was prepared for them before the foundations of the world. But like Esau, they sell their birthright for the temporary pleasures of this world. Deception increases to the level of someone willfully choosing unbelief instead of surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Deception ultimately doesn't send people to the damnation of the lake of fire. It's the refusing to accept the measure of revelation God first gave them. You say, well, some people's never heard of Jesus, Pastor Chad, but Romans 1 says they've heard that there's one God and God has made Himself evident to them, but they choose to exchange the measure of light and revelation they've given for their own desires and God then gives them the desires and through their willful unbelief to use the measure of light they have, they continue to progress in deception and the darkening of their heart and mind where they'll no longer acknowledge what was clearly made known to them by God Himself, Romans chapter 1, that He exists and Romans 1 says, therefore, they're without excuse. Listen, when you and I and followers of Jesus live demonstrating relational trust, Ephesians 5.13, notice what Paul says, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light for whatever makes manifest is light. We have an advantage, the helper to empower you and I to demonstrate in life our relational trust in Jesus. And when we do that, the light of God through our life exposes and the people around us their refusal to believe in Jesus as Lord and King. Now what I want to highlight is that we oftentimes get the focus of what the ministry of the Holy Spirit's doing in the life of unbelievers wrongly. And we're all vulnerable to this because we all still have our humanity. And we start focusing on attacking the individual sins in people or in culture. Okay, now we don't want to go to the other extreme, the cowards who won't acknowledge sin as sin. Right? That's unbiblical. We still acknowledge sin as sin. But listen, the focus of the advantage, the helper, the focus is on the sin of unbelief. All the other things in their life is just the result and distractions for them from the fact of their willful rejection and unbelief of God who is truth. See, Paul says that if someone will accept and use the light of revelation that he's given them, then he'll keep giving them more. And time does not allow for me to go through the centuries of testimony and witness of, of history of how people in unknown lands began to hold fast to the revelation that God exists and began to say, well, God, I, I, we as a people, this is how we, my ancestors have worshipped, but if there's one God, then we shouldn't worship idols or that. And God has moved heaven and earth by His Word and by His Spirit and sent someone to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ.
God won't leave one person at the level of revelation they're at who is hungry and uses the measure they have. That's how the kingdom works. This is why some people have been left in the same spot spiritually, though they've changed seats and changed churches for decades after decades in the Bible Belt, is because they are not holding fast and using the measure of light and revelation God has given them. And God can't advance any of us. He, Jesus says, to the measure you use will determine the measure you're given. The focus of the helper First is on the sin of unbelief. So notice the advantage is help to convict the world of sin. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to try to deal with sinners in my own ability. I need an advantage. If I'm going to live on mission, if I'm going to seek to highlight the reality that Jesus is Lord and King, I need help. I need an advantage. That's what Jesus says the helper do. Secondly, convict of righteousness. Verse 10, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Listen, Jesus is our acceptance, friends. Our good works isn't our acceptance. Our earned income isn't our acceptance. Our social status isn't our acceptance. Jesus is our acceptance. And if Jesus is with the Father and Jesus is accepted in the Father's presence and Jesus is able to sit down and rest as if his work is finished at the right hand of the father then listen then our right standing with the father in Christ is secure hallelujah our right standing with the father is built on a solid foundation a secure foundation of Jesus that's what the Holy Spirit is seeking to convince us of that if Jesus is with the father then he has completed the work necessary to make you and I right with God our Father. That our past sins and transgressions are forgiven. That despite our past and upbringing, we are forgiven. That our life is no longer built on sinking, shifting sands. And notice, he wants to convince and convict the right by word and deed. By word is the message of righteousness. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5 and 6 that no follower of Jesus can mature and no longer be a babe in Christ until we're skilled in the message, the word of our righteousness. You remember Job? That's an example. Job's friends ten times kept accusing him and saying, Job, you're not righteous. You are in willful sin. That's why these things are happening on your life. And he would not let go, watch this, of his Redeemer as his righteousness. He kept holding to his integrity and says, My heart does not condemn me. My Redeemer lives and he is my righteousness. Despite his friend's wrong, piercing words. By word, then by deed. The Bible talks about the fruits of righteousness. The Bible talks about the righteous acts of the saints. In Acts 10, 34 through 43, Peter begins to talk about Cornelius. And he says in Acts 10 and 34, Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation whoever fears Him and works righteousness is accepted by Him. Wow. He's referring to Cornelius. He's not talking about working to become righteous. He's talking about that the righteousness through trust in God, in Christ, leads to display. That is the fruit of righteousness. That's what Paul said in Philippians 1.11, be filled with the fruits of righteousness. James 3.18, now the fruits of righteousness. 1 John 2.29 puts it this way, if you know He is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of Him. Why do we practice righteousness? Because he is our righteousness and becomes the foundation for our life. And the righteous acts of Cornelius that Scripture highlights, he lived a life of constant prayer, giving, and fasting. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount highlights the reality of those things before the Father who sees in secret. So by deed. So convict the world of sin, convict of righteousness. Thirdly, convict of judgment. Notice verse 11, he says, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I would say in all of these, this is the one that is 
least attained experientially by the body of Christ and for most people that you and I talk to and encounter. Most of the people in the Bible get, get number one, the importance of convincing the world of their sin. And we are probably all in here on agreement that the sin of their willful rejection of Jesus, that they need to accept Jesus as Lord. There's probably no one in here that has an issue of saying that the world around us, that what God is working to do in our life is to get them to repent and place trust in Jesus. Secondly, though, many of you, you're still immature spiritually because the Holy Spirit is trying to work to convince you regarding righteousness, regarding your position before your Creator. Some of you now are, are trying to find that sense of peace of heart and sense of acceptance and a healthy self-confidence and self-image of yourself, but you're trying to find it through your physical labor. You're trying to find it through your physical achievement. You're trying to find it through the opinions and the praise of people. And the Holy Spirit is trying to grow all the body of Christ to be convinced that if Jesus is with the Father, then you and I are as righteous as we'll ever get before God because Jesus is our righteousness. He is our foundation. He is our secure footing with the Father. But the most people we do life with, they haven't yet been convinced of this, of judgment. Judgment that the ruler of this world is judged. One, if you grew up in wrong teaching, people think that it's God who's in this way ruling the world. Now, to have a problem with that, who's that who's, who do we have a problem with? Dwelling place? Pastor Chad? No. What did, this is Jesus teaching. Jesus said of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about Lucifer, who became the God of this world. The world we live in is not a clear reflection of who our Creator is. It's a clear reflection of what the lawless one, Lucifer, and those who follow in his footsteps of lawlessness create. Death and destruction and wars is not a reflection of the nature of God. It's a reflection of Lucifer who still kills and destroys. But Jesus says of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Listen, Satan in his kingdom has been judged and defeated. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed all principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in and through the cross. God through Jesus has now disarmed the devil and his kingdom from having to rule in the hearts of humanity and to rule in the homes of humanity and to rule in the spheres of humanity that now the king has broken in and now the kingdom is breaking out. A kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The will of God and the good pleasure of God can now prosper because of Jesus. How does the advantage help us convict the reality of the ruler of this world being judged in word and deed? First in word, you remember Revelation 14, 11? And they overcame him, how? By the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. The word of our testimony. See, if we keep talking only accordance to what we've experienced growing up before being in the kingdom of God, we will not overcome and experience the kingdom of God in that area of our life. Listen, we'll continue to experience what Satan brought or caused us to encounter. Did you know Satan used people when you were growing up to cause harm and pain in your life? You ever wondered why elementary kids can say the most hurtful things when they don't even know 10 plus 10? 
but they can hurt you so bad you, you cry to your mama, your grandmama, your friend's grandmama. How? Because of demons. Satan working through people to bring harm in God's most loved thing on the earth, humans. You and I made in His image, yet sin has affected it. But you and I now overcome. We're empowered now through the Holy Spirit to speak the Word of God where the words of man and things of the past has brought hurt. We overcome by people get stuck and they don't experience victory because they say, well, my parents and my family's always struggled financially, so I guess I'll always struggle financially. You're not going to experience overcoming. People say, my family's always had alcoholics. I'll always be an alcoholic. Even though I'm not drinking, I, you know, I'm going to always identify as an alcoholic. You won't experience the full victory because we overcome by the word of our testimony that the ruler of this world, Satan, has been judged and defeated. And where he ruled in my world and where he ruled in the world, he rules no longer. My world and my life is ruled by Jesus Christ. He is now king and his kingdom is now accessible and available to you and I. That where in my lineage there's been perversion, that where in my lineage there's been uh, working for success and trying to find fulfillment and the applause of man, that that stuff don't have to rule me anymore. I can be ruled by the goodness of my father through Jesus Christ because the ruler of this world, Satan and his demons, have been judged and defeated. Hallelujah. I don't have to. You don't have to have the same experience of your parents or grandparents or those that went before you if they didn't experience all that God had for them. Jesus has purchased promises that are yes and amen for you and I. Then by deed. Remember this verse, 2 Corinthians 10, 6? And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Wow. Listen, number one... Our obedience will never be fulfilled until we first let the advantage, the helper, convince you and I of our righteousness. Listen, if you don't get convinced in your identity in Christ, you're sure not with all that's in the world and all the difficulties of the world and all the dealings with our own emotions and all the dealings with the different seasons going to walk outwardly righteous. You're not going to outwardly walk righteous if you don't let the Holy Spirit convince you inwardly that God made you righteous through Jesus Christ in the new birth. But after that, when your obedience is fulfilled, being ready to punish all disobedience. You know what that means? It means where there's struggles in my life or disobedience in my life, I've not allowed the Holy Spirit to convince me in that area of life that Jesus is my righteousness and God in Christ has made me like Jesus in that area. And therefore, when I'm tempted, I still identify with who I used to be or what I used to do or what people used to call me. And therefore, I'm vulnerable in that moment to sin. But when the Holy Spirit is able to convince you and to convict you that Jesus is your righteousness, that God gave Jesus to you and I, that where we were sinned, we could be made righteous like Him, then we'll be empowered to obey. You know why the reason you didn't come in here barking like a dog? is because you don't identify as a dog. And when you begin to identify as a righteous person in that area, you will be empowered by the Spirit to demonstrate righteousness in that area. Some of you, the reason why you don't demonstrate a prayer life is because you still believe you're the old person that don't want to pray. No, no, God created you to talk with Him. God created you to approach God. And when you allow the Holy Spirit to convince you that God has made me something that I wasn't before, I might not used to pray, like to pray, even knowing about prayer. But now I'm made to pray. And the Holy Spirit empowers and He's the advantage to remind me that I'm created to talk to, to the Father. Watch this, Acts 13, 8 through 12. Come on, band. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from faith. You should, you know, we're gonna get together at, at the big band bonanza. <laughs> Here in a couple hours, you might as well hang out at the second gathering. I'm going to preach way better in the second gathering, I, I promise you. <laughs> but seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith, watch this. The sorcerer is trying to turn the people away from faith. 
You remember when I said the other week? Sometimes we're being too naive. We're looking at people in the world and, and we're just thinking, you know, they're not being used of the enemy. The whole world lies under the sway of the evil one, friends. Listen to me. If they're not born again and don't become filled with the Holy Spirit dependent on Him, they are going to be used by the enemy, watch this, to move people away from the faith. You say, wait a minute, no one's going to move me away from saying Jesus is Lord. I'm talking about all the faith. They might not move you away from confessing Jesus is Lord, but they'll move away your trust and dependent that He can be Lord in that area of your life. You say, oh, one day I'll go to heaven, but until then i got to live like the world. Until then I can't overcome. Until then I'll always be an addict. I'll always struggle with this. Listen, they will move you away. The devil uses people to move us away from trusting that Jesus is Lord, even in this, even in that, even in that area. They're not... The sorcerer is seeking to move them away from the faith. Look at verse 9. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, O full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. This is New Testament, folks. This is book of Acts, folks. This is a man, Paul, right there, filled with the Holy Spirit. And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you, shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time, and immediately a dark mist fell on him, and he went around seeking someone to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had been done, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now this is amazing. You ready? Some of you might not be familiar with what Acts said before this part of Acts. But that man, Paul, filled with the Spirit, was a man that was called Saul. Same person, but his life before Jesus, he was fighting against Jesus and didn't know it. And he encounters Jesus, and guess what happens to him? He loses his sight. He gets blinded like the sun shining for three days. And Paul's whole worldview goes dark. It gets rocked. Everything that he was so convinced was right. As a young person, you know, just trained in the ways, the feet of Gamaliel and religion, and he was just so sure. Now he's blind. He's being led by the hand of the friends on the road to Damascus. But Paul responded correctly to that moment of being refuted supernaturally. And he did a complete fast, no water, no food for three days. He humbled himself in the sight of God. He began to fear and tremble, saying, Oh, I thought I was on the right and narrow. God sent him a disciple and prayed for him. Received his sight. He got water baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit. He went in the desert and began to be taught by the Lord. And he became the mighty Apostle Paul. What do you see here? Because Saul who became Paul because his obedience was fulfilled when he was in a way doing the same thing that this sorcerer was doing. He was able, his very presence in life, to judge the disobedience in that sorcerer's life. Listen to me. When you and I allow the Holy Spirit the advantage to empower us to judge things of our past and experience victory in Jesus, then watch this. Your very life, because of what Christ has done in you, begins to judge the disobedience in other people's life of things you used to do. Your very presence in life now says, because of Jesus, overcoming is available. 
I once was that, but Jesus made it possible to change me. This is the judgment. This is first take the, take the plank out of your own eye before we deal with the splinter in another. That's what it's saying. But you and I have a helper. We have the advantage where we can supernaturally by deed declare that the ruler of this world is judged. And listen, to every place you let the Holy Spirit convince you that Satan's power is broken off your life and you experience the victory of Jesus will be the place that the Lord uses you the greatest. Because that's what Scripture teaches. To the area where your obedience is filled, thus you'll be able to judge all disobedience. And that's why God's got you in the relationships He's got you and the friends He's got you as believers and the places He's got you because He wants where He has enabled you to overcome things of the past to begin to judge those things in the lives of others. Because Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me and He has anointed me to set at liberty them that are pressed. So yes, there is by word empowerment to judge and say Satan's power is broken. But there's also our very life and deeds judges. Demons that try to convince people you'll always be a substance abuse. Really? Because the grace of God that touched me in Jesus is the same grace of God that will touch you in Jesus. I hadn't taken a drink. I hadn't smoked dope. I hadn't done any of that in years because of the grace of Jesus. My very presence when I go around those people judges the lies of those demons that tries to tell people, you are born this way, you always got to be that way. And religious demons, same thing. Don't matter how you grew up. What matters is, is what does the Bible say and what does it rightly mean? And the Father's got a promise for you where you can experience supernatural empowerment. Doesn't matter if you didn't grow up in a church that supernaturally empowers and you can prophesy and see demons cast out and see God use you for people that's open at times for physical healing and emotional healing. Your very life begins to judge the lies that, the, that Satan puts in people. The question is though, have you received the advantage? The advantage is supernaturally empowered to convict the world of sin. Supernaturally empowered to convince of righteousness. Supernaturally empowered to convince of judgment by word and deed. And God's called every one of us to that place. That place of obtaining what Paul calls the fullness of the gospel. That place of what Scripture calls the full assurance of the faith. Listen to me. Some of you, you're assured right now that the blood's sufficient to forgive you of your past. But you're not yet confident and secure that God has made you righteous through the new birth. You think you're forgiven and you're going to be with Jesus for eternity, but you're still the same sinner. You're just forgiven. Well, that ain't going to do any good, friend. Because a washed pig still wants the mud. And God doesn't just wash the pigs. I was a pig. He makes us into a saint because He has grace that's able to save you and I to the uttermost. We're not talking about just washed and forgiven, but we're the same miserable person. We're talking about if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. We're talking about the word of promise, the gospel of our salvation, the same word that created the heavens and the earth can bring you forth as a new child of God, something you never were before, and therefore you can have new desires. You can have a new heart. You can have a new direction of your life. Some of you have learned to be convinced that the blood has forgiven given and cleansed you. Some of you have been convinced that faith that God has made you righteous through the new birth, but some of you are still struggling that the devil's authority has been defeated over your life. That the ruler of this world's judge. You look at the world, you look at things happening in your life, you look at things that you are experiencing, and you say, there's no way that Satan's power is really broken. If Satan's power was really broken, then God, why would I be dealing with this? Why would I be going through that? And see, faith is trusting what God has said more than what our experience is trying to say. Because the things that are experienced are temporary, but the Word of God that is unseen is eternal. 
And the Holy Spirit's trying to convince some of you to say, hey, the Holy Spirit's here and you want the advantage. You want the help to believe that when it looks like hell is still in charge, when it looks like the hells of fire is going to rage in your home, when it looks like the devil's still in charge in your family and your lineage, that the Holy Spirit, the advantage begins to empower you and say, devil, you have no right in Jesus' name. No right that in Christ I'm more than a conqueror. In Christ, I can trust that He's my overcomer. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.